Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Mikachu, and today I'm joined by Cyclops GV. Welcome in, Cy. Hello. How's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm not doing too shabby myself. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question of the day. Uh, what, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Um, any superpower. I would have to go for, um, eh, uh, omnipotence, omnipotence, whatever you want to pronounce it. Um, because I like to know, and knowing, um, I mean, it, it makes everything that much easier. I can use it, I don't have to use it, it's easy to get by with, uh, people don't notice it. You know, if you happen to have the answer, you know, people are like, yeah, and you, know, you have the answer. So you don't always have to do it, but if you need to do it, you can. I've never heard that answer before. That's actually really clever. I mean, I always go for something basic like, um, what do I, uh, like, uh, you know, trans transformation, like being able, so I could, you know, just kind of like Beast Boy go into like because he, he can fly you know he's got super strength if he goes into like rhino but yeah a lot of people usually go for the more um like complex or like superpower superhuman things like the ability to fly super strength super speed uh invisibility you know all those things are cool you know teleportation whatever may have you but the thing is is that um <clears throat> if you have such things then you kind of stand out like a sore thumb. And especially mm. in our society, that's not something you want to do. Uh, because you know, if it was a superhuman society, then it'd be like, oh, okay, another superhero. We got another Superman over here. All right, that, yeah, that becomes like the common thing. It's no big deal. But in our society, when you have something like that that stands out, you're constantly harassed. You're constantly bothered. The government wants you uh, the whole nine yards. So it's, I find it's best to better to have a superpower that is uh easily um hideable it's not like form uh like present up front something that you could easily do or not do and regardless if you do it in public or in private no one's gonna notice makes for a lot a quieter and easier life uh if you need money you can always uh you, you know like what the winning lottery numbers are but you don't have to go for like the million dollars you can just go for like the local lottery, win a you know five hundred bucks, win a thousand bucks, win whatever you need. Um, that way, people don't kind of catch on to exactly what it is you're doing. Like, oh, should I buy this lottery ticket today? Which lottery ticket's gonna have uh, you know, the two thousand dollar prize? How many do I need to buy? Is buying here even worth it? You know, stuff like that. Makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense actually. I really liked um, the Incredibles how pixar was able to that was pixar right i'm pretty sure they were well, able to, so. to uh deal with like the whole superheroes fitting in with regular society yeah you know it's it's really hard for like you know, superheroes to fit into society because society is like oh this is you know this uh they're super so they think they're better than us or this could go terribly wrong like oh well the, they have superhuman strength what's to keep them from doing terrible things uh you know some people are going to be for it some people are going to be against it just like with everything in society in the world so you know kind of like trying to work superheroes into society it's going to be 
you know, just like everything else that uh, people don't understand, people are afraid of, or something new. Just like we've had uh, racism and segregation uh, until we became more progressive, I feel like it would be that, but instead of basing it on race or color, it's going to be basing it on the ability to do versus the ability not to do. And people are going to be scared of it because it's the unknown. Yeah. Wow, we really dive deep. Um, now I'm going to ask you a daily fact, or I'm going to tell you a daily fact that I looked up on the internet and I cannot confirm if it is true or not. Daily fact is you cannot catch the flu from a flu shot. Now, uh, the ability to catch the flu from a flu shot, um, I'm not going to say that it's true, but I'm not going to say that it's not true. The thing is, is that you have to understand how the vaccination works to begin with. You're not injected with a dead version of the virus. You're injected with a very weak version of the virus. Mm. That way your body can attack it, build up antibodies, et cetera, et cetera, to protect you from that strain of uh, the flu, the virus. That's how vaccinations work. Now, um, can you catch the flu from the virus? I would say potentially yes, because even though it is a weak version of the virus, everybody's different. Your body might not fight it off uh, as intended. So you might, you know, catch it because then if it's not fought off then it replicates in the body it does what viruses do now the average person the normal a normal person who does not have an immunodeficiency or whatever the case may be you know the body's going to fight that off which is why they recommend that if you have immunodeficiency or anything of the sort to not get the vaccination because there is a small chance that you could catch uh, the virus from the vaccination and then you know it could be more detrimental to your health. But the the amount of people who are immunodeficient and run the risk of potentially contracting the virus is generally really really small, you know, less than a fraction of a percent. So, is it possible? I would say yes, but under a very specific uh, criteria uh, that has to be met before uh, the the virus could potentially evolve into a stronger version of it. So, you know, you're going to have to, you know, this, 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 and that. There's going to be a lot of different check check marks to, to really hit on, but it's, everyone's different. So you could actually be healthy and your body just not react to it, much like uh, we have uh, people, the, uh, statistically, about 10% of the world's population is generally immune to a, uh, to a, a virus, uh, one or more, which mm. is what we call asymptomatic. So while yeah, we have asymptomatic people, we also have people on the other end of the spectrum who are not immunodeficient but might be more susceptible to a virus even though uh, it's a weakened form. So it's really hit or miss, but statistically, the chances of it happening are very low. Now, uh, are you, are you pro-vaccine in most cases? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would consider myself pro-vaccine. Uh simply for the fact that it makes sense all right uh you know people say oh well we didn't have vaccines back in you know the 1800s the 17 we didn't have vaccines before then they're like yes you're right and thousands upon thousands of people died yeah so we we had enough uh people who have caught it and survived it to uh to obtain what we call herd immunity the way herd immunity works is you catch it you survive it you build up antibodies to it enough people uh contract it and survive it it keeps it from passing around because then it can't be passed on from person to person because you have built up an immunity to it, uh, to that specific uh, strain of the virus or specific virus, depending if it has one or more strains. So, yeah, we didn't have vaccines once upon a time, 
but <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> we had like, a oh, lot well, more you know, deaths uh the black death right yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah we had the black plague we have a vaccine for that now which is why we don't ever see it pop up it, it pops up like in a few cases we know what causes it uh yeah we have antibiotics to fight it but when we didn't have antibiotics to fight it we didn't have vaccines against it millions died yeah so yes um you know we uh we almost pretty much more or less eradicated polio there's a very uh think in the u.s it was in the 1970s was the last recorded case of polio we completely eradicated smallpox via vaccination um so yes i believe that vaccination is important uh to our society um and uh you know from here on out i would agree um i know someone personally uh that has a brother that was affected by vaccines so i mean on on my hand i see both sides of the, of the spectrum i see why some people are against it but i think it makes more common sense to be pro-vaccine and to get those vaccines yeah some people might uh react adversely to a vaccine you know much like uh, the discussion about the flu vaccine um you know not everybody is the same but statistically, the number of people who um, that respond negatively to the vaccine is low in comparison to the grand scheme. Yeah, you know, we might know one person uh, that you know, reacted adversely to the vaccine. You know, it just happens that we know that one person who is the outlier uh, exception to the rule. Right? right? Somebody has to know them. It just happens to be us. You know, some. Yeah, you know, people are like, oh well, you know, the the chances of that are, you know, uh, you know, million to one. Well, yeah, the chances of anything are extremely high, but somebody has to be there. Somebody has to get it. Somebody does it. You know, why not you? Right? right. You know, the the chance of winning the lottery is one in how many ever millions, but somebody does it, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So you brought up uh, the Black Plague, and I was going to use that as a segue. Uh, because California discovered uh, a case of that, and on on platforms like Twitter and TikTok, it it blew up, and everybody's like, "Oh, just another thing that's awful about 2020." And I and that that happened with uh, murder hornets as well. Like murder hornets were never a major concern there was like one spotted and it was more than likely brought it upon like a, a trading ship you know but everybody freaked out and i feel like a lot of people are blowing 2020 out of proportion to try to compare the stuff to covid you know so the it's it's not been a great year don't get me wrong there's been a lot of bad stuff happening um but i feel like i guess for clout or popularity whatever a lot of people are just kind of throwing stuff out there and making them a bigger deal than they actually are. Uh, I could agree with that. Uh, a lot of the things that go on, uh, we usually use to tend to distract away from everything else. Or, you know, it's one of those things, misery loves company. So, you know, every, like if you ask a person, oh, how has your day been? They go, well, my day has been terrible. And then they'll keep adding on to it as you know why it was bad, why it was terrible, et cetera, et cetera. And as they go throughout their day, uh, their day is going to get worse and worse, mainly because the, you know they make it worse. They're only looking at the negativity and they're trying to stack up upon it, you know, for whatever reason, be it uh, mental, be it for attention, or anything else of the sort. 
you know, as a society, that's just something that we do, or a lot of people do. So, you know, the you know, there if there's a rec- you know a recorded case of the Black Death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, is that like, oh no, the Black Death, et cetera, et cetera. Number one, we know how to fight it, but number two, it's not it's not a common thing, but it's not uncommon either. It's not the only re- you know, recorded case within the last you know however many years. Places like other countries, some developed countries, even some developed countries, you know, uh, the, the virus or you know, the, the plague or whatever the case may be, whatever to call it, it does pop up, but it's not noteworthy enough to inform the media, oh, no, the Black Death is back. N- no, you know, it's just like you, know, you, you go to the doctor because you have the cold, you have the flu, uh, whatever the case may be, you go, oh, all right. So when something like, you know, the plague pops up, it's not a plague anymore. It's, you know, it, the Black Death, it got its name uh, because of, you know, the, the symptoms that were called uh, black uh, hardened spots on the skin. And you know, it caused a lot of death and it was a dark time for everybody. You know, and it was a plague. It spread like a plague. Uh, you know, it's, you know, the bubonic plague. But now, since we know how to fight it, since we know what it is, uh, et cetera, et cetera, contracting it, yeah, it's bad, but you know, it's not really noteworthy unless it starts to spread. But because we have such a you know a, a tight leash on it and we have reined it in, it just doesn't. So, but people are using that to essentially to fear monger, right? Because you know, oh, yeah, twenty twenty, we do blow it out of proportion. You know, uh, COVID nineteen, yeah, it's rough, and people are like, oh, you know, it's it's the end of the world, blah blah blah. blah. The thing is, is that outside of our country, other countries have already managed to contain it. Uh, it doesn't spread. They, you know, the number of deaths they they have uh, recorded per month are down in the single digits, sometimes even zero. There's some countries uh, that are less developed than America, and they haven't had a single report of it in months. And people are like, oh, well, those countries aren't as populated. But the thing is, is that even though those countries aren't as populated, they have more people per square mile than we do in America. So their population is much more dense, which is what such a virus needs in order to spread. They need uh, The virus needs density, pe- uh, able to pass along to those many people in a short amount of time. And they've got it under control. But uh, so here in America, we're like, oh, you know, it's the worst uh, it's the worst year ever. 2020 is so bad. And we constantly want to fear monger, want to constantly pile on top of it when we could have reined it in if you just stayed at home and wore a damn mask, yeah. right? So, you know, people people are people. Everyone wants attention, regardless of if it's good or not. You'll see people take to social media. They'll say something controversial. They'll do something controversial or whatever the case may be. Really all they're looking for is those retweets, those likes. Uh, they, they want the subscribes on YouTube, whatever the case may be. It's all for attention at this point. Um, it's Is COVID uh you know an important thing to address uh is it potentially uh fatal etc cetera, etc cetera? yes it's a terrible thing but common sense would help us rein it in the problem is we don't have that as a society uh so to to quote uh, a movie from actually back when i was younger the men in black uh if you've ever seen it great film great um uh the main character not will smith the older guy tommy lee jones his character uh, he says, a person is smart, but people are stupid. And that is very true. An individual has sense. 
society as a whole does not. I've I've encountered it with quite a few people. I'm we all have uh, because you find them everywhere. You know, Karens or people that are just stubborn by nature. Um, I mean, I'm not naming names, but you know, for instance, one person I I tend to talk about quite a bit. But I've encountered quite a few people in the last few months that we were all we were all doing great in quarantine in United States for the first couple of months. No one was going outside, and then everybody just got bored and pretended like COVID wasn't a thing anymore. And their argument is usually, we can't live in fear, you know? Like, that's not a way to live, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go out and go to the ocean because I don't want to live in fear because we can't live like this. The problem that we have when it comes to that is it's not people, you know, people are saying, oh, we can't live in fear, we can't do this, we can't do that. The problem that we have is we have this sense of, um, it's our sense of self here in America. Uh, as a population, we are arrogant and we are selfish, right? So, uh, the, like, you, the reason why you, <clears throat> you know, somebody who doesn't wear a mask, like, well, why don't you wear a mask? Well, because I don't think it's important. Though it is important uh, now, you know the mask is not to protect you; it's to protect you, uh, protect others from you passing it on. Mm-hmm. But people don't care about that. They're like, "Well, that's their problem, not mine." Right. So if we have that sense of selfishness. We don't care about our fellow man, even though we we try to say that we do. Oh, we're patriotic. Uh, we we care about our country. You know, all for America, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, um, as a whole. We don't give a shit about the other man. If you know their life falls apart, well, that's not my problem. It doesn't affect me. What we lack in our country is a sense of somber. Uh, sonder, sorry, not somber, sonder. So if you're unfamiliar with the term of sonder, it's the realization that everybody around you has a life just as complex as your own. A lot of people don't really realize it, that every person you pass on the street is years and years and years of experience, uh, just like you have. But the way we see people is not as people, just as you know, just as much as a person as we are. We see everything and everybody as objects. We become desensitized to the fact that they're, you know, they're people. So we don't care anymore. I'm like, oh, they don't care about me. I don't care about them. You know, they're just an object to be used up and thrown away, just like everything else in our consumer society. So. You know, people have this sense of selfishness about them. Well, I'm not going to wear a mask because, you know, screw them. Uh, yeah, I'll do what I want because I'm American. I have those rights and don't infringe upon those rights. And the thing is, is that people have a very large misconception of what those rights actually are. People are like, oh, well, you know, it's just like the, the freedom of speech, right? Well, I have freedom of speech. People think that, you know, you can say whatever you want. With no repercussions. Now, the actual freedom of speech states you have freedom of speech to speak out against your government without legal ramifications. So you can say, I don't like my government, and the government can't arrest you for that. That's specifically what the freedom of speech is as a whole. Um, So it's not that you can say whatever you want. It's that you can speak out against your government. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just like a lot of the uh, the old adages that people use, uh, curiosity killed the cat, a lot of people don't know what the second half of that adage is. Satisfaction brings it back. 
but people only focus on the first half, and that's how people focus on a lot of their rights, too. Well, I have the right to bear arms. No, you have the right to bear arms in defense of your country. There's a difference there. That's the rest of it. So that's a lot of problems that we have in our society as well as ignorance. We only know half of what we think we know, um, and people try to use that uh, you know, for their own selfish needs whenever it suits them. But if it doesn't suit them, then they'll speak out against it until it begins to suit them once more. So I'm going to bring up a random trivia question that is a very bad segue, and then we'll get into some uh, actual other discussions. Um, so the longest river in South Africa is the Orange River. And that is the trivia question of the day. Um, so you speed run, uh, and you do it for fun. So Correct. tell me about speed running. What is it, and uh, what are your what are some of your favorite games to speed run? Well, speed running as a whole, uh, I guess it, it really depends on who you ask. Uh, what's considered speed running and what's considered not speed running. I mean, just the the base definition of completing a video game as fast as possible by any means necessary. Uh, now, when you break that down into individual games. Uh, each you know, category, as they call them, has its own separate rules. Like, okay, beat the game as fast as humanly possible, exploiting whatever you have to to do it, which is how we end up with games that are supposed to be 10, 15, 20 hours long, and they turn out to be like three minutes long. But then you have categories where it's like, okay, finish the game as fast as possible, but you can't exploit anything that wasn't originally intended by the developer. So you end up with a game that you know, is meant to be like, you know, a half an hour to an hour long, but it can boil down to like 10 minutes just if you're good enough at the game. Mm -hmm. A very popular game uh, to, to point out for this is Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo. The average person, if you know where the warp pipes are, can finish the game in less than 10 minutes. Speedrunners, because they're, you know, they, they know the game so well, they know, you know when to jump, how to jump, what to jump on, what not to jump on, so they never have to slow down, you can knock it out in five minutes or so. So... That's essentially what speedrunning is in a nutshell. Essentially, beat the game as fast as you can. Depending on the game, there's certain rules that revolve around that. So one game might have just a couple of categories because it's a very basic game. But one game might have 80 to 100 categories, which I think is nuts. But, you know, they're, they're all different goals. And half the time, it's not even to beat the game. It's just achieve this goal. Like, once again, with Super Mario Brothers, there is a speedrun called collect you know 50 coins mm -hmm. that's it that's the goal once you hit 50 you're done and the, the person who can do it the fastest is the person who will do it the fastest so you know it's not always you know beat the game it really depends on the game though as far as my favorite games to run i do run a slew of games my the ones i've had the most enjoyment with i would say are probably wario land on the game boy and Super Mario Bros. 2 USA All-Stars version. Because um, I, I run the Peach only for that one, and Wario Land, I run uh, all the categories. And uh, the movement tech and everything, they're just really, really fun to do. Some games that uh, I've run as well, like the original Mario Bros., I, the, the tech, just it's not really there for me. You know, it's run, jump, run, jump, run, jump. Whereas... Some of the others, there's it's a little more involved than that. 
but you know, complex speed runs, I'm not really, uh, it's not really my jam either. So, uh, so I'm familiar with it, um, as a previous speedrunner myself. Um, I am on hiatus, uh, but more than likely just never going to pick it back up again because the one issue with speedrunning for me, uh, was the constant grind, you know, and then barely getting any return out of it. There's the satisfaction of getting a new personal best or if you're that good at the game to get a new world record, but, you know, I'm not a big Twitch streamer. You're not uh, a big one either. We each have our personal communities. Um, but other than that, it's kind of same thing every single day, you know? And I just found it lacking in, in that area, you know? It, it, same, same thing over, same levels. Do it slightly better, keep practicing, improve just for a small return of having a place on the leaderboards, you know? It definitely takes a certain kind of person to speedrun, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, it's the repetitiveness, the constant grind, the how can I improve this by a second, a half a second, of one frame. Uh, some games do th that competitive. But I think what really draws people to do it and to continue doing it for an extended amount of time, uh, such as I know... Uh, speedrunners who run nothing but one game and have run nothing but that one game for the last year or two. You know, why, why play this game thousands and thousands of times, put hundreds and hundreds of hours into it just to get, you know, just that little smidgen of, you know, better at it. And, but you have to ask yourself at that point, how is it different from any other sport? Right? Because you're with speedrunning. It's friendly, but it's also competitive. You're competing against other people on the leaderboard who are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, just better. So, you know, take uh, football, basketball, baseball, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for example, all of those players are trying to do the same thing for their side, just better. Mm -hmm. So it's it's that competitiveness. The only difference is that in speedrunning, we're not competing head-to-head -head at the same time, unless we're doing like races or something like that, but that is completely a different uh, section of speedrunning. But speedrunning in general, that's really like the only difference is we're not competing with other people at that very moment, you know, where they're like every, you know, there's like six or seven people sitting next to us and we're all doing the same thing, you know, trying to beat each other in the moment. That's where it differs from other competitive sports. Yeah, we do it in our own time. We can pick it up. We can put it down. We can take a break from where the case may be. We can never come back to it. But it's still that competitive nature. And in order to continue to do something that's the same thing over and over and over and over again, you have to have that competitive drive, just as everything else in life. Um, you know, business, sports, relationships, it's that constant competitive edge. It really depends on how competitive you want to be. If you're not terribly worried about being as competitive, then it might not be for you. But if you're driven by competition, that those are you know, the, the types of people that speedrunning really uh, caters to. You know, some people just speedrun for fun. You know, they're, they're not really looking to be competitive per se, but they still enjoy that slight competitive nature, whereas other people will grind out for world record trying to beat out the other guy, regardless of even if it's just by you know, 
the hair on their ass, right? Right. So that's really what speedrunning boils down to. So is, um, well, it's kind of obvious, but I would assume that gaming is something that you like to do in your free time? Yes, gaming is definitely something that uh, has been an interest of mine ever since I was young. So uh, to, to really explain why I got into gaming or how I got into gaming, uh, it really, you, you need to know a little bit more about me. So, you know, I was a, a wee laddie of three years old, and when I was young, I lost one of my eyes. That's why they call me Cyclops. I'm missing my left eye. Now, while in the hospital, this was back in 1989, it would have been, so yeah, the video game market was back up and coming with Mario Brothers and uh, Zelda and Metroid and all that stuff. So while I was in the hospital, I was uh, rehabilitating because I had to learn how to interact with my surroundings again without depth perception. And so one of the things that the medical staff uh, tried for young people having to rehabilitate, uh, mostly with hand-eye coordination, you who suffer like eye trauma and stuff like that, like I did, um, somebody donated a couple of Nintendos to the hospital to keep you know the, the little children entertained because rehabilitation when you're three years old it's going to be hard to keep their attention right so you got to find something that will help but also make them want to rehabilitate make them want to participate in the rehabilitation so i was actually part of a test group of children ranging in you know from you know all different ages to see if video games could be used to help re rehabilitate uh, hand-eye coordination um, as one of the main focuses of rehabilitation. And it worked. It worked well. You know, I played Mario Brothers while I was in the hospital the entire time I was there. You know, I, had, you know, I did my normal rehabilitation of you know, discerning like, how far away objects are, how to not run into objects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But my hand-eye coordination, being able to respond to things as I see them, um, Mario Brothers helped with that a lot. So that had a big place in my childhood uh, growing up. And from there, it kind of just evolved into my love of gaming for the last, oh, what, uh, 31 years of my life uh, to the point where I'm a large-scale collector. I run my own online store. I do the speed running for personal and for charity. Uh, video games are a big part of my life now because of how... Uh, they had impacted me as a child uh, after suffering from, you know, from the, the trauma of losing an eye. So living without an eye, I, I, I'd assume, is, poses some challenges. But sure, with, with your experience throughout life, it's probably gotten easier. But what, what's it like, mostly? Um, that's really hard for me to describe because uh, since I lost my eye at such a young age, which honestly, if something is going to happen, that's the best time for it to happen because you're still learning to interact with your environment at that age anyway. So you don't have years, decades of experience all thrown out the window like an adult would when you know, they lose an eye. The rehabilitation is much longer because now they have to relearn everything. Whereas, you know, at the age of three, not completely still a blank slate, but the slate's not that full either. Now, working, you know, growing up 
without depth perception, that does limit me to certain things, uh, such as you know sports, uh, like baseball. I I tried baseball as a kid, but hitting the ball was hit or miss, literally, because I could never tell quite how far away it was. So if I thought it was close, I would swing. Sometimes I would swing way too early. Sometimes I would swing late. Every once in a while, I would get lucky. Wham! I hit one. You know, it's the same with catching it too. Um, is it ten feet away? Is it thirty feet away? I don't know, but we're about to find out, like right now. That's, so it's that's uh, scary. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of guessing um, growing up. But the the fun thing about the human brain, though, is in its complexity, and we still don't have any idea how the damn thing works. So what I have is what they consider an artificial form of uh, depth perception. I don't see depth the way other people do, but instead I can judge distance based on lighting and shadows. Uh, and that just comes from experience. So you know, something's casting a shadow or lights hitting it or whatever the case may be. I can roughly judge how far it is away from me. Keeps me from running into things and knocking things over. Now, I'm not going to say that I still don't run into things and knock things over. It happens for month, every once in a while because I'll think something is a little further, a little closer than what it is. But I'd say about 98% of the time, I don't really have much of an issue. I can drive, uh, no problem. Uh, it scares people to death because I break suddenly. Because is that car 100 feet away or is it 300 feet away? I don't know, but we're about to find out. Um, I have a motorcycle's license. Uh, that really confuses people, I too. did not know that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, interesting to live without the eye, but it's not impossible. A lot of people think that living with a disability is rough, and honestly, it's not. It, uh, I could do everything pretty much everyone else can, just a few exceptions. I'm not as good at them. I could still do them. I'm just not that terribly good. So, yeah, and I, I don't really know how to, like, compare it to having two eyes because when I, I was so young when I lost my eye that I have no memory whatsoever of what it's like to see with two eyes. I only know you know my experiences with just the one. So I, I don't have a comparison like an adult would if you know if they suffer the same trauma, they can go, oh well you know in comparison to this in comparison to that, you know this is this is how it was, this is how it is. I don't have that so I really I have no no basis to go on for it. That that makes sense, yeah. So you mentioned um, an online store. Yeah, I, I got into uh, selling uh, retro stuff online, uh, mostly on the you know, eBay because you know, you have a, a large consumer base already there, so it's. It's easier to get your, your products out there when you know there's already millions and millions of people shopping on it. They just type in what they want. Bam, you might be one of the most competitive. Um, I do – I buy locally you know, from people in my area. A lot of the times I mainly try to find people who kind of don't know what they have so I can get it for as cheap as possible. Now people are like, oh, so you're ripping people off? Yes. <laughs> um, That's the way to do it. But, but the, the thing is is that – uh, just like any other business, I have to be able to generate profit. So I have to offer less than what it's worth so that I can make my money on it. Now, I've never um, I've never told somebody well, and they go, "Well, this is how much I want for it." And I, you know, 
and I use strong arm tactics to get them to sell it to me. Like, oh, well, you're never going to get that for it. You might as well sell it to me now uh, for this price because you're never going to sell it otherwise. I don't do that. Uh, when I reach out to people, mainly people reach out to me uh, most of the time. I put my feelers out there you know, of what I'm looking for on social medias and local groups, uh, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, uh, Discord groups for my, my area. And I just put out, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I'm a buyer. Uh, I'm also a collector. So if you have any of this stuff, I would love to discuss with you. You know, if the price is, if we can come to a, an agreement, the price is right, I would love to buy. So if these people reach out to me, hey, yeah, I have this box of stuff that's, you know, uh, you know, just collecting dust in my attic and my closet. Or, you know, my kids don't use this stuff anymore, you know, because they're grown and they've moved on. Um I would like to sell it. And I, t I asked them, the first thing I say is, what would you like to get out of it? Uh, because most people have an idea of how much they want for something, regardless if they know how much it's actually worth. Uh, yeah, so people go, oh, well, I'm only looking to get about you know, 100 bucks for it. And if that's, you know, depending on what it is, if that's good for me, and I think I can spend plenty of profit off of it, I'll go, deal. I can do 100 and they go, okay. So I let them set the price point, of, and that's their expectation. Now, if it's worth much more than that, that's not my problem. You know, they, they came at me blind, not knowing what they had, especially in today's uh, day and age with the rise of technology. It wouldn't take them but five minutes to look online to find out what they have and what it's worth. You know, sometimes uh, people come at me and they say, well, this is how much I want for it. And I look at it, and you know, I I could basically judge, you know, by looking just at it, roughly how much it's worth and what I could get out of it. Yeah, you know, that just comes from years of experience. And if if I can't really turn a profit on it, I'll go, okay, well, that's how that's how much you're looking to get out of it. Um, well, then we enter into the haggling uh, portion of it. Like, well, I can do, and then I'll give them a low number that I know they're not going to accept. And they'll go, well, that's a little low. I go, okay, well, this is a little high for me. So you know, as a collector and as a businessman, I'm, I can't pay that because I can't do anything with that. And it depends on how willing they're wanting to sell. They'll go, okay, well, how about this much? And eventually we meet in the middle or we don't, and that's fine too. They'll go, well, uh, I can't let it go for anything less than that. And I go, all right, well – that's a little, uh, little too rich for my blood. It's a little more outside of my price point, so I will have to uh, decline. But thank you for coming to me and letting me see what you have. Uh, if you still are holding on to it two weeks, three weeks, a month from now, and you haven't sold it, uh, just, just know that my offer is still on the table. And if you wish to come back to me and we can continue to discuss business, great. If not, well, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. And that's it. I, I bid them farewell. Seems so, like a really good sales tactic, yeah. I mean, you, know, you try to be fair, and you don't want to be crappy about it, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're crappy about it, these people aren't going to come back to you if they get their hands on something else. Or if they have a friend, a family member that says, well, I don't know, yeah, I got this old stuff, I don't know what to do with it, then they're not going to recommend, like, oh, yeah, I know this guy uh, who buys, but he's a dick. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I know this guy. He bought some stuff off of me. If you need a quick buck. Uh, reach out to him uh, and see what he'll offer you. Yeah. And sometimes people come to me and they'll, you know, I ask them, okay, what are you looking to get out of it? And they'll go, I don't know. 
what are you offering? The thing is, is they do know. They just want to see if my offer is higher than what they want. And when people do that, I will shoot them a very low number. I, I will essentially what's called lowballing people mm -hmm. because I know that they're expecting to get more than what I just offered. And that helps to set up the expectation of what they're looking to get. So once I know what they're looking for, I know not to offer more than that. So, you know, it's people try to play the game. The thing is, is I've been playing the game for much longer, so I'm generally much better at it. And a lot of the people that I buy from, uh, so, some of them, you know, they just found some stuff, you know, in their garage, whatever. But a lot of the people I buy from are resellers, much like, much like myself. They got it for dirt cheap. They played the game and, you know, got it for you know, a fraction of its worth. And they're looking to flip it to somebody else, you know, quick money. You know, things come in, things go out, things come in, things go out. I don't have to flip it that fast. So I can be, you know, a little more picky with how much I pay. They're just looking for quick money. I know they're looking for quick money because uh, you can always tell when you're dealing with a reseller because they'll, off, they'll, they'll have a wide variety of stuff, but they won't know a whole lot about it. So, you know, uh, one guy sold me, like, uh, a couple of Genesis games, some NES games, a Game Boy SP with a couple of PlayStation 1 games, a few random accessories, uh, it was, and it was all just thrown in a bag. And it was like, how much you want for the bag? How much would you give me for the bag? So that tells me that he has no idea what the value is in that bag. He just knows that this is how much he paid for it, so this is you know, how much he wants for it. You know, he might have paid 20 bucks for it and got lucky, and he wants 50 bucks for it. You know, that's quick money. It's easy money. And I go, all right, I can give you 50 bucks because I can look at the bag and know there's like $200 worth of stuff in there. Easy. Yeah. So, but not everything I buy is in the condition to resell because I buy broken stuff as well. So when I offer people, okay, this is what I'm offering. Do you know if it works or not? That's always my first question. Do you know if it's working? And people will go, I don't know. Or they'll go, yes. And I go, can I get pictures of it working? And they'll go, well, I'm not really sure if it works. Because people will tell you something works all day long if they think you're going to bite. I'll go, okay, well, give me proof that it works. And they go, oh, well, I'm not really sure if it works. I'm like, okay, well, this is what I'm going to have to offer you because I have to assume that it probably doesn't, and I'm going to have to repair it. Right. Or I'm going to have to salvage it. The great thing is is that I know how to repair it. So, yeah, I can go from there refurbish it up spit and polish make it look nice maybe replace one or two parts depending on what's broken and boom i got an almost like new uh, device that i paid virtually nothing for so how did you get into refurbishing learning how to repair and fix all of these cartridges clean them um, or consoles etc so I got into uh, repair and refurbishing, I'd say, about oh four or five years ago at this point. Um, back when I – I didn't always collect. I, I began to collect in my late 20s, and it started with just a collection of things that I still had from childhood. I had maybe you know, 50, 60 games and like uh, my PlayStation 2, one of my Super Nintendos, my original Nintendo, a Nintendo 64, a Sega Genesis, you know, like the – all the mainstream consoles that I had growing up. And that was about it. And I was like, you know, I would like to collect because I started working in a retro video game store. And 
from there, you know, we had a lot, a lot of stuff in back stock that was broken that they take in, but nobody who worked there knew how to fix it. Mm. So since I started collecting, the need to know how to maintenance and maintain my collection became very important. So I was hired at the retro store because I, I had some, uh, a little bit of skill with repairing and such like that so because of my own collection that I used essentially their back stock of stuff they couldn't sell because it was broken and I used that to expand my knowledge of how to how to do this how to do that uh, what parts are broken uh, how to quickly diagnose something to know if it's worth fixing or if the cost of parts is not going to be worth it and it needs to be scrapped for parts in itself so like the the PlayStation 2, the most common thing to go out is the laser. Lasers uh, pre-pandemic were like $5 a piece. So, you know, I can if I got a PlayStation 2 slimline or something like that, I would turn it on, I would listen to it, make sure the cooling system sounds good. Okay, uh, does the drive motor sound good? Does the laser move? Okay, yep. Uh, does the memory card slots and controller slots work because you don't need a game to test that? You can just navigate the browser. Okay, great pop a disc in nothing okay okay so everything else works but the, the the laser is shot the disc drive works it moves everything else responds laser simple as that and it takes about 10 minutes to pop one in five bucks i'm on my way i just got a playstation that was broken for five dollars because it was broken another five bucks i'm ten dollars into this playstation i can now sell it for 60 bucks so that's that's what I was hired to do at the game store, and that's what I did at the game store. And I kind of just built my knowledge from there. To be deathly honest, I lied <laughs> to get hired. I said, yeah, I know how to fix these things. And they go, oh, well, we don't have a repairman on staff. That would be so helpful. Like, yeah, I could definitely do that. And I learned on the job, nobody ever noticed. <laughs> so That works. That's That's how I got into it. And from there, I started collecting more because I could fix things as well, which made uh, made it easier to expand my collection, and now my collection is expanded over 1,500 games and over 70 consoles in my collection. A lot of them are the same console, like the Game Boy Color. I have every color, yeah. So I have a lot of repeats, but I have a huge collection of consoles and games because I know how to do this. So, and that's what I use my store for. I make money to. So I can bring in more product. Every time I buy something from a local, I thumb through it and go, all right, I need this, I need this, I need this for my collection. I don't need this, 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 and this. And then out of the pile of what I don't need, I know how much I can make. So when I look at a lot, I go, okay, I can make this much money on the whole thing. But if I plucked out, if I cherry pick this, 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 and this, how much can I make after that? I still need to make a profit or depending on the lot, I need to break even. Can I break even with this? Yes. Sweet. I'll take it. So what I'm going to bring up is the other day in class um, to be... It, it was on the 11th, um, and one of my teachers used the concept of um, the tragedies of September 11th um, to use as a segue back to uh, the book that we're reading and compare it to one of the things that the author was trying to convey to us. Um, and a lot of kids 
felt very strongly, hey, you shouldn't bring up that kind of thing. You shouldn't make jokes about it, about it or use it as a transition, at least not on the day that it occurred. And I'd agree with them, hey, he was, uh, our teacher was a bit intense um, with the example that he showed. Um, but I had an interesting classmate uh, talk to me um, and said, well, hey, you know, kids don't have the right to be upset about this because you and I, at our age, we didn't live through it. Um, and that really got me thinking because especially I've noticed in America, a lot of people get offended for other people or get offended even when they haven't experienced the thing. So I feel like, personally, I have the right as an American to be upset about the example the teacher showed. However, I may not be as upset as somebody that actually lived through uh, September 11th when it occurred. So I guess that was a little argument we had back and forth. My friend was like, hey, you know, we shouldn't be getting upset about this because it didn't actually occur to us. And if anybody has the right to make an example out of it, somebody that lived through it does. Well, that's th there's a couple different things to, to touch up on there, to be honest. Um, now, number one, uh, the teacher using 9-11 as an example to transition uh, into something else that you're currently learning. Now, it's really all... It, it base I would say that it's situational depending on what it's being used to describe now even on the day of uh, the thing happening you know, it's it's something that's you know nationwide you know and we take time out to uh, you know to remember uh, you know the, this the, the lives that were lost the sacrifices that were made um, et cetera et cetera and yeah, it's it's an it's a national thing. It, it impacted us nationally. It set off a chain of events, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It uh, it caused us uh, to go to war that we're still fighting, and so. But as far as using it, should it be joked about? No, it's a tragedy. You should never joke about tragedies, regardless if you were there or not. They're not meant to be joked about. Yeah, you know, like people make um, you know jokes about the Holocaust that's not okay because that was a severe tragedy it's never okay to do that doesn't matter if you were there or not you can still be because it was a tragedy and you know what that tragedy implied so um to say that you you can't be offended by people bringing up 9-11 because you didn't live through it you can be offended depending on how it is used because you understand the impact that it had, you know, the, you know, how tragic it was, and to know that it's not okay to joke about or to be used as a reference to something else. Well, he, so, he, brought, he brought, well, I brought that point up to him, and I was like, hey, you know, we shouldn't joke about it regardless. Um, and he was like, well, jokes are supposed to be used for healing. You know, we need to be able to joke about it in order to heal. And I was like, I can, I can see how you can make that argument, but also 9-11 is something that still happened pretty recently. 
Um, cause you know, if people make jokes about barbarians, that's not something that I would say, Hey, you're not allowed to joke about that because it happened so long ago, because there's nobody currently in the entire world that was around when the, when barbarians were rampaging, you know, it's, it's something that we could joke about. Well, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, people say, "Oh, well, your joke is a form of healing." You, you know, you, you got to be able to joke about it, et cetera, et cetera. That's not. I don't believe in that. I believe that uh, everything. You know, we should be able to talk about it, but to to joke about it would be considered insensitive. Now, you know, we we talk about, oh, well, you know, nobody. You know, just as you said, you know, nobody was you know around the time you know, where barbarians were rampaging, sacking, pillaging, raping, looting, murdering, uh, the whole nine yards. Um, you know, and we make jokes about it, haha, et cetera, et cetera. It still doesn't make it okay to do such things, regardless, because, um, you know, some people, their entire lineage was impacted by these things. Uh, you know, so, you know, to, to some, to some people, that is still an issue because, like, you know, their family name was ruined. Or you know their entire lineage was thrown you know to the wolves, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? You know they they might have been proud of their family name at one time, but they are no longer because their ancestors committed atrocities, and you know that the generations have been making up for that ever since. Mm-hmm. You know that's to say, like, uh, you know, once we get far enough from the Holocaust, it's okay to joke about because everyone who's alive now, uh, nobody. Uh, whose life now was alive back then, so now it's suddenly okay. No, it's not. Um, because you know, families and generations have been and will be impacted for a long time. Uh, not only the people whose, uh, whose families suffered through it, but also the people whose ancestors participated in it. You know, uh, Germans who were just following orders, etc., etc., and you know, their ancestors helped to persecute the uh, the Jews. You know, their family line is going to be making up for that for generations, and whoever knows if it can be made up for it. Uh, you know, their everything has been impacted. Their family name is no longer honorable, and you know, it's now looked at with much disdain. So, you know, in our country, we don't. This is not a problem for us. We don't care. But in other countries, this is very important to certain people, to certain cultures. These are things that they just don't talk about or they don't joke about. That is not okay to them. But we're not terribly cultured, even though we have the ability to connect with anybody in the world uh, instantaneously uh, through the internet and such. Uh, As a society, we are very ignorant to cultures, and that goes to all countries. Most countries have this perception of how, you know, another country is, but we don't know their customs, their traditions, things that are, you know, okay to talk about, things that are not okay to talk about. We only know what they want us to see or what our country wants us to see of them. So, you know, we don't, uh, we don't rightfully know. So is it okay to joke about? No, it's not because we don't know what impact that has on somebody else who could potentially hear it, right? Say, like, you have a kid in your class that... Um, Lost a father was, or... 
yeah, yeah. You know, who who lost somebody during you know this time or the case may be, or uh, whose uh, you know great grandfather or the case may be participated in that, and you make that joke because well it doesn't impact whatever the case may be, but it might impact that one person, and that impact can ripple from there. Nothing is there's no such thing as an innocent anything. You know, like, oh, well, it's just an innocent lie or, oh, it's just, you know, innocent flirting or, oh, it was an innocent joke. There's no such thing. You throw a rock in the pond, it's going to ripple regardless of how small that rock is. So, you know, sensitive things that people do joke about shouldn't be joked about. Now, people would argue with me that that's a little bit extreme. You're being a snowflake and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, you can call it what you, you know. You can put lipstick on a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig, right? right? So you can call it what you want, but it's still not okay. So, but you know, as a society, as people, you know, none of us are saints, right? We're gonna slip up. We're gonna say something that is going to offend somebody. We're gonna make a joke that might offend somebody, you know, and we didn't realize it because the joke is offensive. We just didn't think it was offensive to anybody in the general vicinity, right? I think it's interesting, like, at one at what point does something become no longer jokeable, you know? Like, at what point does it become too intense? So, obviously, we've got examples like the Holocaust and 9-11. You shouldn't joke about those things for all of those reasons that were just brought up. But, you know, I guess people could say, oh, hey, it's related to the amount of deaths that occur. Or it's related on a personal level. But, you know, there's people joking about COVID everywhere right now. And I don't view COVID as as intense as something like the Holocaust or 9-11. But there could be people out there that are offended about COVID jokes because they lost, um, you know, maybe they, they lost a newborn or a kid lost their grandmother. You know, it's something that affects them and i think nobody really on the internet thinks about that when they're making a joke or something um but we have this crazy power with the internet now that it's not just telling a joke between the vicinity of a group of friends where somebody might overhear it and offend it because once you put it out there anybody in the world that has access to the internet can see that so a lot of people could get offended. It's not just a private joke between friends. See, the thing is, is yeah, when you when you ask you know, what at what point is a joke okay to make and what point is a joke not okay to make, um, and something I'm a firm believer of is if the joke has to be at somebody else's expense, it's not funny. Mm. You know, there are you know plenty of jokes out there that don't have to be at someone else's expense. Yeah, they're. They're essentially harmless jokes because they're they're not meant to harm anybody. So, but you know, if it has to be at someone else's expense, then it, no, it's not funny. And a lot of punchlines are at other people's expense. Now, you know, when people now on the internet, the thing, the problem that we have with the internet is, even though it is such a great tool, you know, it it we have the entirety of human written history. Uh, at our fingertips, and it's this you know fantastic tool allows us to connect to others. With everything good, it also brings the bad with it, and the bad with that is because we have the ability to connect to others, but we can hide.
behind this uh, the sense of being anonymous. Um, the things we say, we don't realize or we don't care about how it's going to impact others. It becomes full circle back to the definition of Sonder. We don't realize that other people have lives just as complex as our own. It's even more so desensitized to the fact that when you're looking at a computer screen, you don't really think that there is a living, breathing person on the other end. So, you know, and people will say things on the internet that they normally wouldn't say in person because there's no threat of being punched in the mouth when they do. Right. Because I can guarantee you a lot of these people who, you know, um, who say like the most god awful things on the internet, if they were to do that in person, they would be hit. Yeah. And that would be immediate repercussions. There are no repercussions on the internet. As long as it's not considered a national threat for the government to get involved or the police to get involved, there's no repercussions for your actions. And right. that breeds toxicity amongst a lot of things, amongst gaming communities, amongst social communities, you know, pretty much everything. It breeds nothing but toxicity because people can just do whatever they want. The internet is lawless. And this is what uh, society looks like when there's no laws to govern it. I, uh, I watched a Netflix um, series called uh, Don't F With Cats. That's not the full title, but you know I don't wanna say the F word. Um, and I thought it was interesting because a lot of people don't think that there's repercussions, but a whole group of people in this doc in this three part documentary series band together, and they make repercussions for specifically the abuse on cats. Um, and I think, hopefully, in the future, we could add in some some different laws, some different moderation and repercussions on the internet to hopefully, you know tone it down because of course we aren't going to have a perfect society and it's going to be the same on the internet but to an extent we can keep keep crime levels down keep you know like you can't show up to uh to a um president presidential debate and yell from the audience f this guy i hate him so much you know like, security will escort you out. There's repercussions for your actions in that point. It's, you know, so hopefully hopefully in the future, uh, some more moderation and repercussions on the internet can, can happen. See, the problem is, going based off that example that you just gave, you know, going to a presidential uh, debate or you know, rally, where the case may be, and yelling out and speaking out against you know, whoever is up there, and then you're escorted out. The thing is, is that repercussion is not a legal repercussion. It is a personal repercussion by the person who is standing up there. They go, okay, well, if anyone acts a fool, I don't want them here. This is, this is my uh, rally. I make the rules. Just shoo them away. And they are effectively removed because the person up there doesn't like it. Mm. But legally... They technically can't do that, but because that person is not considered the government attative authority, they still can't. It's a loophole, right? Because you can uh, you can yell in the president's face, "I hate you," you know, "f you," and blah blah blah. You're a terrible person. The government can't suppress you from doing that. 
they can remove you, but they can't suppress you from doing that. You right. still reserve the right to do it. But there's a loophole to it. Every law has its loophole. And the thing about uh, governing uh, what happens on the internet, it's because of that uh, the, you know, being anonymous, because the internet is such a large scale, you know, it's global, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things that can and cannot be done uh, in relation to it. You can't pass laws to restrict it because that does infringe on your right to freedom of the press. Um, you know, and to an extent, uh, your freedom of speech, even though freedom of speech is mainly about your government, you do hold certain inalienable rights as a human being. And suppression of what you have to say, good or bad, they can't infringe upon that, but only to an extent. So being able to pass you know, laws or uh, repercussions for doing so, they have to fall under something else. It's you know, just like, um, you know, say, you know, a woman on the internet, she does something, people don't agree with it, and some you know, random guy says, you know, uh, I hope somebody kills you or I will rape you or whatever the case may be. Right. Well, that the repercussion for that doesn't fall under they reserve the right to say things. The repercussion under that now falls under a different law of um, <clears throat> you know, threatening another person with physical harm of some sort. Now, a, you know, a repercussion can take place because it falls under a completely different law. That law is the loophole to this one. So, but in order to pass a law to, uh, to restrict it, the law doesn't just apply to one thing. It must apply to all things. So, and it's really hard to do that, especially with the way the internet works, because we do have laws that were passed specifically for the internet on what is and isn't acceptable uh, by law, how much you can suppress something, how much you can't suppress something, and what uh, the government can and cannot legally do. So that's why we're not terribly progressive uh, with, you know, what we, you know, the punishments and stuff that people uh, receive for being, you know, like this on the internet. It's because while this one, I think Psych made his point. Uh, hopefully, you all saw that. I unfortunately lost internet right as we were at nearing the ending of the recording session so it's it's very disappointing but uh anyways i think this was a very good uh podcast for the first episode um we covered a lot of interesting topics and it went very very well in my opinion i'd like to especially thank again cyclops gv for coming on uh very great guest uh hopefully we can have him on again in the future um, his socials will be down below so you can follow him on Twitch, etc. And uh, for, for Spotify listeners, just find the YouTube video um, and you'll find the so socials there. But uh, yeah, this concludes the first episode of the podcast. I hope you all have a great rest of your days and uh, I'll see you again soon.